You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. We were up late last night. We were up really late. Well, I was preparing for the commentary and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, let's see, what, what day is it that's going to air? This is going to be mid-December. So yeah, we can't say what movie yet. Yeah, because it's not going to come This is not going to come out till this is going to be before January 1st. Yeah, and the movie's not going to be out till January 15th. Right, but coming attractions after January 1st, we can say what, what movie you're doing. It's not what you expect. Yeah, I still need to, uh, I need to double check with the person who might be my guest and see if they still want to do it. I haven't even <laughs> procured a guest yet, but I'm not till February, so I've got a little time. Yeah, I'm just trying to get all my stuff done before uh, Christmas craziness. Yeah. I've actually been having a lot of fun with the commentarians and uh, just the stuff that we, that we get to do with that is, is it's, it's unique. And well, th- th- this show is a lot of fun. I, I mean, obviously, we get to talk about Bible stuff and, and nerd out. Um, but I like that some of the flexibility that the commentarians gives us. Well, and, and there's conversations I don't think you would have unless movies and suggested them. Yeah. And so it's not something I would set out to, to say, oh, I'm going to talk about this particular topic on a podcast. Right. But if I'm watching a movie that brings it up, that's natural. And that's kind of the shared language of our day is movies or TV shows. Yeah, well, and um, I, I just, I like that uh, one of the things I've been having fun with, and this is just to kind of aside personally, I've been having a lot of fun with the Ravens you've been drawing for the commentarians. I mean, those, those have been fun. Um, again, shameless plug for the store. Go check that out. There's a, there's a, you got a Raven, what, on a little projector? Yeah, he's on a projector. Guess a little top hat. And- yeah, and then as a nod to the commentarians, like the, uh, the original logo has 3D, uh, has 3D glasses in it, so... We, you know, our Raven is sophisticated, so he's got opera glasses with 3D lenses um, as a nod to the original Commentarians logo. What's really funny is you and I would actually use opera glasses like that if we had them. Well, the question is, are we going with the opera or are we going to see a 3D movie? Because at the opera, they wouldn't be much help. That's already 3D. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't even like using regular opera glasses at the opera. I, to me, they're distracting. I just I, want to. I can see how that could be distracting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've I've never used them. Yeah. I um I had a date once who tried to impress me, and that's a long time ago. But they actually were more of an encumbrance than. I guess I just want to sit back and just soak it all in because if people go, oh, the opera, and they kind of from this area act like you're suggesting they cut off their arm or something. Yeah. 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 It is pretty funny the the attitude. But it's beautiful, and I'm not somebody who's going to listen to opera music at home. That that really doesn't appeal to me that much. But to actually be in the theater and experience it. Well, that's and, what it was written for. Yeah, and the other thing that I found that a lot of people don't realize is like in Tulsa, which is the only place I've gone, they actually have subtitles. So yeah, you that, can that's actually kind of common in a lot of a lot of operas, especially like yeah, because it's all in you know most so many of them are in Italian mm-hmm. that. That, yeah, you, and and especially if you're if you're going to something that's like one of the comedies, it really helps out a lot. 
yeah, I, I and just the, the thought and the level of care and planning that that goes into an operatic production is it, it's amazing, and I think everybody ought to go at least once. Yeah, see it in context, mm-hmm. and yeah, that helps. Yeah. So speaking of context, hey, speaking of context, <laughs> hey, we actually had a segue <laughs> instead of just having to stop ourselves. <laughs> so uh, last week we talked about the Tower of Babel. And then on our Facebook page, uh, Raven Creek SC, you can yeah, find Yeah, and we us didn't there. even plan that segue. That was so good. No. I, but now I've ruined it. Yeah, shut so. up. <laughs> but on we the We are face- professionals. No, hey, no, Emily. amateur. Amateur. <laughs> if you put amateur in front of anything, you can claim to be anything. I'm an amateur hypnosis. I'm an amateur. You're an, yeah, you don't even know what it is. Right. Hypnotist, right? There you go. Yeah. So. See, but if you say it, you can be it. And so nobody really expects you to be great at it. You're oh, just that's true, I guess. I, I stumbled across that little gem this summer. I like that. Uh, so I'm I'm an amateur. Uh, I don't even know archaeologist, yeah, amateur archaeologist, uh, ar- amateur astronaut. <laughs> that was actually one of the things I thought of. So there's uh, got a great joke for that later, but I'll tell you off mic. So anyway, um, the <laughs> we'll put that in the paddle store. Um, which, by the way, there is the paddle store, and if you're a member of Patreon, yep, then one dollar gets you into the secret club. We have that there, um, just to get rid of any internet trolls who may wander by and want to cause a fight. Um, we, you know, that's not what we're about there. We want to have a conversation, a real conversation with people. Uh, so if the, you know, if you want to be part of the, you know, we'll we'll discuss a lot of it on the main page. But if you want to get in the into the weeds, uh, come to the paddle store, and we will, we'll you know, dollar gets you in and keeps you there. Yeah. And well, and the, the fun part is, um, you know, the people who are in there are the people who want to have the conversations yeah. and we're small, but we're going to grow and, and the conversations are just going to get more and more interesting. And those conversations like this are actually, uh, driving where we're going to go with the show because Joe, um, our co-host with the commentarians, he mm-hmm. wanted us to go deeper into Abraham and Sarah in Egypt. Yep. And since we did Tower of Babel, there's actually just a short little kind of interlude between those two stories. So we're going to kind of yep. hit some of the high points. And, and this is why Joe's question was not on the Q&A, because we're doing a whole show. Of, mm-hmm. Well, we're starting a show right now about Abraham, and that's probably, I and mean, we're probably going to get, get to all of Abraham oh, no. on this episode. We're going to have to devote an entire episode just to the Binding of Isaac. Yeah. Because that's going to, that's going to take forever. So we want to like start with building up to that. Because if you just have the Binding of Isaac, which most of us know this, the sacrifice of Isaac, um, the Akedah, um, or the Akeda, depending on how you pronounce it. If you just have that dropped in the middle of your lap, you mm-hmm. kind of lose the significance of it. So... I think, yeah, taking our time and kind of traveling there slowly yeah. is a good thing. So, well, yeah, well, let's, let's get to it, I guess. Um. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we wrapped up last week with the Tower of Babel. And right after the Tower of Babel, uh, I just wanted to point out we go into another genealogy and we talked about how that was located in the middle of two genealogies. And one of the things we didn't discuss because we didn't really look at the construction of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Genesis is broken up into 10 segments. Okay. And the 10 segments are called the Toledotes, which 
that literally means generations. Okay. So in Genesis 2, you have these are the generations of heaven and earth. And then you have, let me, I've got them here. Uh, Adam, these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Noah and his sons. Do you have, do you have a definition of Noah? Noah, uh, uh, I did until you opened your mouth. Well, I'm just, I'm wondering though, if, is, is, there, is there anything to the names of the generations? Like, I'm sure there probably is, it, and there has to be. It's the Torah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, um, I just I just noticed because you know last week we talked about the sons of the earth. You said these are the generations of heaven and earth. Then you have these are the generations of Adam. So that'd be generations of the of the earth, right? Right. Uh, Noah Noah means rest. So hmm. rest. Uh huh. Okay. I'm yeah. Making uh, sure I heard that. Uh, not rust. Rest. Rest. Okay. Yeah. No, not rust. Um, that's a different name. But uh, no, that um. Maybe all the water. I don't. Who knows. Well, and the thing is, you can do a lot of things with the names if you go through the generations and you look at what the names mean. Because in the Old Testament, particularly in the Torah, the names are the essence of the person. Sure. So like uh, Cain and Hevel, uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel means breath. Yeah. It means vapor. And and it's to indicate that... He's not going to be long. Yeah. He's not going to be around very long. Yeah. And so certainly Eve didn't go, oh, here's my child. He's not going to live very long. So... This is, you know, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or uh, the story of Ruth, even uh, Macklin and Killian, uh, sick and frail. Uh, this is, surely Naomi didn't decide, hey, this is what I'm going to name these kids, and that's just what I hope they grow up to be. Right. It, it, so you can't really look at the names as definitively, this is the name they have. Mm-hmm. This is a name that indicate something about them right and and it's not too far to to yeah take it that, that the author or someone might have changed the name after the fact because even even you see uh is it naomi mm-hmm. changed said she was going to change her name tomorrow right so well and changing names is an important part of the story and we're actually going to get into that with abraham because the changing of the name indicates a change in the person which mm-hmm. brings us back to the toledotes because when you talk about the toledotes we're talking about somebody who changes. Mm-hmm. Where everybody that is in the story, they, there's a fundamental shift in who they are and where they thought they were going with life. Right. And so now they're um, included in the list, the traditional list of the Toledotes. You have uh, Esau and Ishmael. But what's really interesting, that word Toledote is not there. And so instead of having these are the generations, uh, a lot of times it will be translated, this is the account of. And so Toledotes reserved just for people who change. Interesting. And, yeah. Well, and probably the most significant change was from Jacob to Israel. Right. And so and he's... Well, there, there you have specific physical changes going along mm-hmm. with the, the name change. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's and he's pretty the, cool. He's the final Toledote. He is the culmination of all the little changes that lead up to this final great big change that not only changes him as a person... Uh, it really is about changing the dynamics of family. It's changing the course of history, mm-hmm. uh, Israel as a nation. All of these things that set in motion so that the ultimate change, which is the birth and the life of Jesus, can happen. Right. And so, you know, really, and a lot of people don't realize this, everything you really need to know about salvation, apart from the actual name and person of Jesus, is in Genesis. The plan is there. Right. Jesus is revealed there. And so, but you've got to know how to find him. 
And I think because we don't say the Old Testament, we don't know how to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can definitely see that because whenever you talk about, you're talking about Israel and being the final uh, generation, uh, you're, you're ta- and I, as I said, you know, there's a physical change there and you have Jesus and the transfiguration. There's a physical change, mm-hmm. um, you know, so from alive to dead to alive. Mm hmm. You don't get a bigger change than that. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, through his resurrection, he's, you know, crowned king. And so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It, it's there. And, it's, it's all right there. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, and when, and that's the thing, that's part of the reason that I love having these conversations. And again, this is, uh, you know, for anyone listening, you're, you're just getting like just a tiny bit of the stuff we discuss. But, a lot of time, oftentimes these episodes, I just want to put this out there, they are actual conversations. We don't really script much of anything. No. Um, you know, we, we sometimes just, you know, we talk about our topic a little bit beforehand and get the, some points that we want to talk about. But this is why, to me, it's important to have the conversation because if I'm sitting just reading the text, I may ask a few of these questions, but whenever... um. Whenever I'm engaged with a com- in a conversation, that's when the questions just really pop out in my mind. So that's that's one of the things that I just want to kind of throw that out well, there. And, that, and traditionally, that's how people studied the Bible, right? And it that's was, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Uh, go ahead, yeah. But because you know, before the printing press, to own a book, any book, was amazing, and you must have been super rich. So to be able to have your own personal Bible for Bible study, oh yeah, that was insane. Uh, what kind of crazy person would dare to think you would be that wealthy? And now, I mean, I was looking at my house the other day because I actually left the Bible I typically use here, here, accidentally. And I started looking at the other copies. Of the, I've got 18 different Bibles at my house. No two are alike. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and even, even still, I mean, how many translations of the Bible do I have on my phone? I mean, I carry in my pocket. But pick your favorite one and get a hard copy. Oh my goodness! Well, I I do. I have I have a hard copy. I know, I know. I but for those of y'all listening, seriously, it's going to change the way you read your Bible because the, they have actually done studies. You do not retain nearly as much what you read on a screen as you do from an actual book. Right. Well, and and I'm kind of that same way. Like if I'm reading on a screen, the screen's you know, the, say the screen is static, but it's not. But you know, the screen as I'm as I scroll through something, I could be anywhere. And especially in like a Kindle or something where the page numbers aren't always consistent mm-hmm. based on what font size you choose. You could be anywhere, but I can almost, if something sticks out to me in a book, I can almost, I mean, it could be a book that I read 10 years ago. I can almost remember which, uh, basically within a, about a fourth of where that was located in the book. Yeah. Sometimes an eighth if it's a thicker book. Well, you know, it's like maps if you get a, a map on the phone and you're zoomed in too close you don't know where you are right so you have to zoom out to get context and that's kind of what looking at a bible in the hard form actually does it lets you zoom out to get context where when you're reading just on a screen you're too you're too close to it right so okay. so so we suggest get the whole bible printed on the single poster and then now i would actually <laughs> love that <laughs> you, you put push pins Get a magnetic one so you're not poking holes in it. It would be like a beautiful mind with all the strings yeah. going back and forth. But uh, there's actually a Bible timeline that I, I want to get um, because th- 
visual I'm a visual learner because right. you know art's kind of my thing and even before words um I, I I it just helps you visualize it and I think that's one of the things a lot of people don't have when they're reading the Bible they don't have that internal biblical timeline right or that biblical map that they can go back and forth on yeah and I I, I do I think as you go along and we read through this together you're going to see how there, there's a matrix. There really is this, this network of interconnected points that when you see them working off of each other, mm-hmm. the text just gets deeper and more intriguing. And yeah, we aren't even going like, we're making just a rough brush past this stuff, hopefully to get listeners excited and interested yeah. to go deeper on their own. So sorry, I didn't mean to derail. I just, that was one of the things that just came to mind. I thought I, I wanted to throw that out there for anyone I'm, listening. That's that's part of the reason that I want this to be a conversation and, and not not just a lecture, which which I can do, which so I know, well. <laughs> well, I know, and I can too. I mean, we can both do that, but but I'd really rather just have a conversation about it. We most of the time, again, are flying without a net, and and those of you watching on YouTube can see that we hardly ever splice the video. Yeah, this is just what we do. Yeah, if we do, it's usually because I left my book in the other room. Right, um, or or one of us had a coughing fit with allergy season, and you know it's better than just watching us convulse. <laughs> We're not that kind of show. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so what I just wanted to hit a couple of points because uh, we could go into the genealogies, we could go into um, the the call of Abraham, but I, I don't want to get too ca- caught up in that. Right. Uh, one of the big points is, of course, obviously we know Abraham's older. Um, he went, God's promised him children. He's going to give him a great name. He's going to make his name great, which that doesn't just mean that he's going to be famous. It means that he's going to be a man of substance and character. Now, was he older when he was first called? Mm, well, that's a really good question. Cause... Because, because, okay, so, um, because we talk about the, there's the battle and Abraham leads a small army of men. Like, but how, you know, so he was young enough to still be, you know, spry enough to lead an army, right? Right. And, well, and when they started to Canaan, he was actually set out with his father, um, which I didn't realize that until this last week that uh, Tara, uh, his, uh, Tara, his, his dad, they left Ur together. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of interesting that we never talk about that, that, that Abraham and his whole family, and there's a list, and it's at the end of Genesis 11, that it talks about um, Terah had lived 70 years, he got Abraham, mm-hmm. and I'm looking to see if it gives us a, a timeline, but evidently Terah, and this is traditionally what's thought, Terah was originally the one called to go to Canaan, but he lacked the strength of conviction to get there. Well, and, and, and does it say in the Bible, I know traditionally he was an, an, an idol maker. I, idol maker. There are okay, and and there's there's I mean there's there's a Talmudic story that it's so funny to me that is this the one you're thinking of? Ahead, yeah. uh, but the uh, there's Talmudic story, and I, I recommend uh, for people who want a good overview of a lot of the Talmudic stories, get the Everyman's Talmud. It it's a fantastic summary. It's well written. It to me it's it's it is a little on the dry side, but if you have a question about uh just a general question about how Jews might, might have viewed something. Fantastic resource. And, and I think it was actually originally supposed to be more of a reference book, mm-hmm. but I read it just like a novel. Um, but, I mean, it was, it was great. 
but and it is great. I still reference it, but there's a story of Abraham um you know as he's coming to the belief that that idols are not the way to go. And um and so basically Tara has made all these idols. They're in the tent. Uh he's got them in his storage tent as he's as they're traveling. And Abraham comes in and destroys them. And when Tara finds them destroyed, Whoa. he destroys all but one. Oh, does he? And then he puts the stick they used to destroy the others in that big idol's house. Oh, I didn't. I missed that part <laughs> of the story. I, I either I forgot it or I missed that part. But when when Tara comes back and and asks Abraham what happened, he's like, "Well, it must have been this idol." And and Tara's like, "Well, we all know that's ridiculous," and basically fesses up to the fact that he knows he's basically a snake oil salesman. Yeah, and that, that is one of the Midrashim. Uh, uh, Midrashim is a Jewish commentary on uh, a Midrash, uh, singular Midrashim, more than one. Uh, it's a commentary on the Bible. And so basically the kind of fill in the gaps, a lot of times there's speculation because mm-hmm. there are more uh, favorable uh, commentaries on Terran that maybe he was not, uh, or Tara, I don't know why I keep wanting to say Terran, uh, Tara, that he's more of a hero and less of a bad guy and others. He, he's has this kind of this negative idol maker right. uh, persona because we do know that the city where they, be, where they came out of, which was uh, Ur of Chaldees, that was a very big um, center for the moon worship. And then when they get to Haran, which is where Tara dies, he also, again, a big center of moon worship. Mm-hmm. And this is so the 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 stories about him being an idol maker aren't necessarily baseless. Right. There there's some reason why that was picked up. And so we know that he decided to stay. Uh it's interesting that he died in Heron because he actually had a son of the same name who had died previous to the trip. Hmm. And that was Lot's father. Okay. And uh what's interesting about that story, we're told he's died, and there's almost this this symbol, uh, signal that the writer's pointing out that maybe there's something going on that the audience already knew that he wasn't going to go into this whole story about Her- how Heron died. Uh, make sure I get that name. Yeah, how Haran died. Uh, he is going to, you know it. I don't have to tell you. He died and it was at sure. this point. And now we're going to continue on with the story. And so they get to the city of Heron where Tara dies. And when he dies, um, we're told he dies, but we find out that he, he actually lived like 65 years after Abraham left. So Abraham did leave him behind. And even though they all started out together, and he, Abraham took Lot, which would have been fitting because if his dad's dead, now Lot's inheritance is tied up with Abraham mm-hmm. because he has no kids. Yeah. So we know that uh, Lot, Sarah, Abraham, and let's see the souls that they acquired in Heron um, went with them, which is really <laughs> interesting. I, I thought that was a, a unique little point there, um, the souls that they acquired. The word there in Hebrew is not the one that's used for buying slaves. Okay. And so typically when we do talk about this, we say, oh, well, they bought slaves well, they're, when they were in Heron. No, these are people uh, that joined them voluntarily. They were probably committed to this idea of following where this new God was leading. Right. And they were not just, um, they weren't forced to make this journey. And because the, the language for acquiring a slave is totally different than what we find in this. So, so this would have been, you know, 
pardon my academies uh, for anyone who's not going to like this term. See, this, this would be kind of like cultic adherence to to early Yahwism, to early worship of Yahweh. Yeah, and and they, they wouldn't. And, and, and I and I I don't use that term cultic to mean a negative connotation. I just mean a small group of believers who are who are uh, breaking away from tradition. Right. They they are not. They're saying there's something new here. We we've. We don't know. Maybe they don't know who the God is. Maybe they don't know what the plan is, but they think there's got to be something better than the idols that they're leaving behind. Mm -hmm. And so they're willing to step forward and, and take a risk. And as we move forward, and we'll wait until we get there, but you know, Melchizedek shows up, and we know that he's the priest of the one true God. So there are still pockets of people who are, despite what went on at the Tower of Babel, mm -hmm. they're still worshiping God. Right. And it's not just limited to um, to Abraham. He's not the only one with this knowledge. It's still floating around, and I think we forget that sometimes when we're reading the Bible. And so they left. And what's interesting, there's 318 of these people, uh, of men. Right. And, and, then, and then women and children and probably their possessions. Yeah. And, and that's actually a point you and I have, we've talked about this quite a bit, was oftentimes when we preach about Abraham, you know, we're like, they say, oh, go and go and leave, leave. And then they're like, oh, well, it's so Abraham and Lot and mm -hmm. their families. So we talk about this like it's just a, you know, a group of 12 people or so running around the wilderness. In very little desperate measures. Yeah. But no, he moved a small city. Yeah. Basically. I mean, because would you say 316 men uh -huh. uh, plus women and children. So, so you're probably looking at uh, between six and what? 1500 or something like that, depending on the size of the family. Something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, because if, if you assume every man had a wife, that's mm -hmm. you're getting up there in 600. And then, you know, I, I mean, it could have been, it could have been even higher north of 1500. Well, because every man would have had a wife pretty much. Then you think, you know, no birth control. Let's be real. Right. So you're looking three to four kids easy. And then you're looking at the household slaves who would not have been numbered. Those would have been in, in addition. Yeah. So. Let's just let's just say, say it was four kids times uh, three sixteen. Um, that that's yeah, that's twelve hundred and sixty. Plus you add uh, add another three hundred and eighteen for slaves. Every house had at least one slave. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you're getting you're getting close to two thousand people. Like I said, it's it's the population of a small town and probably and actually kind of a large town for the the mm -hmm. <laughs> for the time. Well, I mean, we know that they got big enough that at one point Lot and Abraham couldn't keep their flocks together because the land wouldn't support it. Right. So that right there should be a tip off because I remember being taught that in Sunday school class. That that tells you you don't handle flocks of sheep. Um, I'm trying to remember. I at one point I knew how many men you had to have for however many head of cattle and sheep. Right. Because I did look that up at one point. And and, you, and we're talking about a time when you didn't build fences. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not fences like we build. You might build temporary structures out of some stacked up rocks, but you're not going to build a big pasture land that's completely fenced in. It just mm -hmm. didn't happen. And so you got to have people on hand to take care of all those. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and there's not as many as you, I mean, it's definitely a one-to-one -one or even a one-to-five equation. I want to say it was like one to every 20 or one to every 50. Sure. And, that's still a lot of people, mm -hmm. especially, especially if you're, if you're looking at the fact that, that you can't, you can't, if you have enough sheep that you can't feasibly operate the land it takes to contain them, then that's a lot of sheep. Well, and sheep, uh, sheep and goats is pretty interchangeable at this point. So, uh, 
there there's not a big distinction made and a lot of times when the, the bible talks about sheep it's kind of with the assumption that that goats are mixed in right and um the thing is we we raise goats they will eat anything <laughs> you don't have to have a lot to support them so when you count take that into account yeah and, and this is the thing when you're reading the bible and you start to to think about all of these little bits and pieces that come into play and you know, think about what would you need to make a trip like this. Most of us wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, and how far is it? It's a couple hundred miles. Oh, now you're asking for numbers. I know. I'm don't getting get it. Getting geography. You know, but you know, to us to move a couple hundred miles, you know, to get up and move that that's nothing. But that would have been a big deal back in the day, especially when you consider you know, at this point you're organizing around two thousand people, probably plus animals, plus water. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so it was a huge undertaking. It wasn't just Abram up and left his family by himself and everything, and and it, so it was a bit. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was it was huge, and and this is really this is considered to be one of the first tests of Abraham. Mm-hmm. That there are ten tests that Abraham goes through, culminating in the binding of Isaac. Well, and actually, I'm sorry, Nate, <laughs> you put it in the in the form of a test. It's like okay, so now the test isn't just getting up and moving what you did. It's hey, can you organize all these folks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it well, really are, it becomes a bigger deal. Are you capable of being the father of a nation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's this is where it begins, and it, it gets very interesting to see how Abraham has to change his viewpoint from being an individual who's out to take care of himself to actually being the patriarch, being the one who's going to take care of everyone. Yeah, and well, and that's really funny. You know, you talk about things that are just assumed in the text. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, when is this written? Well, it's written by Moses, uh, presumably. Uh, you know, there's debate on if it was actually him or not, but mm-hmm. we'll not get into that part of it. <laughs> but you're writing to people who are doing what? Leaving the place that they've been. So they understand mm-hmm. what it's going to look like to move a bunch of people. Yeah, they understand. So we don't, yeah, so you don't have to have those details right there in the Bible. Yeah, and the Bi- and that's again going back to the Bible presupposes that its audience was going to know certain things. Yeah, exactly. And we have to realize we're the outsiders to this text. Mm-hmm. This text was written to us. It was not written. I'm sorry, this re- text was written for us, not to us. You mean the Bible doesn't have to change its presuppositions when we disagree? Yeah, we're actually supposed to conform <laughs> to it. Believe it or not, and it's it's crazy. Um, but that's what happens when you have a sacred text. It's supposed to dictate your worldview, oh, yeah. your life. I, I know. And uh, yeah, okay. Sarcasm. Like I said, we do it well. So, <laughs> but um, one of the really big points about this, because we just came, remember, we just came off the hills, uh, the heels, sorry, my Okie's coming out there, <laughs> the heels of um, the Tower of Babel, where these people picked a spot and said, this is where we're going to meet with God. This is going to be the place where God has to come down to meet us here. Mm-hmm. And God says, uh-uh, Abram, you're going to go where I want you to go, and I'll show up where I decide to show up. And yeah. It's going to be the place I show you. Well, and not even then, because you, I mean, you don't even have that. You don't even have God saying, I'm going to show up where I show you. God's just showing up. Yeah. And that's, that's the amazing thing. We're take, I mean, if you look at it, God has, God's saying, I'm not in the temple. And even even later on, when you get to David wanting to build the temple for God, he's like, God's like, I don't need a house, dude. Like, uh, you know, have, have have I had any trouble showing up where I need to in the past? But no, 
And that's the point. God does it where he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to, and it's not on human terms. Right. And I think that's something that we still have to, we still wrestle with because we want God to show up when we need him. Mm-hmm. Um, when, and we want him to show up how we want him to. Right. I mean, how many times have we prayed for God to do something? The old cliche, you know, the, the, the closed door and open window. Um, but, you know, how many times have we prayed for God to make a way or provide something for us? And we've got it in our mind exactly how God's supposed to do this. And then he turns around and says, yeah, not good enough. Right. That's not going to fly. Or, hey, you need to go over here because we're going to do it some way completely different than what you expected. Right. And I think we need to be okay with that. And I think that's part of what Abraham's story tells us, in particular, when you put it in the context with the Tower of Babel, to realize that God totally rejected the people who tried to control him. That's scary. Yeah. Because. Yeah, it's great. So, sorry, I should probably move along. I feel like I'm distracting more than. Uh, No, I I mean, because this is is just like randomness, because I am just picking out stuff. Uh, one of the things that points out in Genesis 12, uh, verse 6, uh, we were talking about how uh, authorship, whether or not Moses actually wrote it, which I think he did, or I think it's at least very, um, very highly based on what Moses wrote. Yeah, it's fair, and, and also, you know, and not necessarily whether he wrote some of this stuff as in composed it, because again, we have the, this idea that it was an oral tradition. Lots of it might have been an oral tradition. But I think there are some things that Moses not necessarily uh, composed, but collected some of the right the articles. Well, but it, and no matter how that works out, uh, we do have evidence of an editor, and I know that freaks people out because we've been taught that the Bible's inspired and it's always going to be just perfect. There's no errors, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to burst your bubble. If you do any translation work whatsoever, one of the first things you're going to be confronted with is there are errors in the text. Don't get freaked out. Anytime human beings write something, even when it's inspired, we make mistakes because we're still human. Uh, Now, God is able to compensate and help us overcome those mistakes and all of that. And the really cool part isn't that this flawless document was created by a human under divine inspiration. It's that God decided to inspire humanity at all. Right. Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. And that's one of the really cool things about Christianity and Judaism, because almost every other written religion, the the text is dictated word mm-hmm. for word. And there's no room for personality. There's no hum for, room for human contribution and influence. And uh, the really one of the really fun things about the Bible is you do see that. Mm-hmm. You see the personality, and uh, you know you go into the Gospels, and we talked about that some with the Beatitudes. But anyway, but uh, in, in that verse six, it says, you know, the Canaanites were in the land then. That an editor went back and inserted that, right? Because that was. Um, why would they need to know that? I, it doesn't make sense in the timeline. And so we have these, these different things. Also, city names are changed right. from what they were in Abram's yeah, time. Yeah, what they would have been called Moses' time, right. Abraham's time, and then, the, yeah, further on. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, that makes a lot of sense. And so the other really cool thing is that when Abram actually enters into Canaan, now God speaks for the first time. Okay. God never speaks, and God never appears. I did not realize this until uh, recently. God never speaks, and he never appears anywhere outside of Canaan. 
This is the only time in all of the Bible, uh, or in all of the Torah, sorry, I want to keep it concise because this is the part I've checked out, that God shows up. It's when they're in the land. And so we're back to the geography being important. Hmm. Yeah. I, had, I hadn't considered that either, but that I see where you're. I see what you're talking about. Well, and I think for us, one of the really cool things that it, if we're where God wants us to be, then God's going to speak to us. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're doing what God has called us to do, then God might it might open the door for God to appear. I'm not saying that He has to, right? But you know, God tends to show up when people are being obedient. That just really, <laughs> I I'm sorry, yeah. No, I, I can, sometimes he shows up when they're being disobedient too, but you don't, don't want Don't want him to show up. <laughs> Everyone look busy. Jesus is coming. Uh, I saw that on a billboard once. I thought it was funny. Oh, it, it, it yeah. So um, it, it, it is funny because that's how we treated our dad. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I, I'm trying to like just hit some, uh, some high points and, and not get too derailed. The other really interesting thing is uh, Abram builds two altars at Bethel and Shechem. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be important because when Jacob comes back through to re- reclaim the land, these are going to be places he returns to. So they're going to show up again. And um, we know with Jacob in particular, Bethel becomes very important. Right. And, uh, but, and now Beth, Bethel means, is that house of God? House of God. And yeah, that's, that, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and there's been some debate because these are kind of uh, pagan areas of worship. Mm-hmm. And so some scholars, are, well, of course, he, he makes these altars here um, because they're places of worship anyway. But then you've got to ask, is Abraham really building an altar at a pagan site to, to just join along with them? Or is he doing it in an act of claiming? Well, see, and that's that's kind of my take on it would be that he would be doing it in defiance of the existing deities. And now we're back to the divine world, the divine council worldview, right? And so this this comes up again, and so we have the retellings with Jacob, and so we're starting to get these underlying themes that the writer expects you to know, right? And so he's not going to put it, you know, the uh, Hollywood uh, term "hang a lantern on it" every single time. Because you're expected to be so steeped in these traditions that you wouldn't have to ask the question. Right. So, whereas we're idiots. So, it's also very interesting that in Abraham's promise of the land, this is not a land flowing with milk and honey as we get in Egypt. A- Abraham is going to fight his ways to exist throughout the entire book. So, um, that those are kind of the, the things that happen in between uh, Bethel, uh, I'm sorry, Babel, mm-hmm. and getting to Egypt. Right. So, the the first major thing about Abram getting to Egypt, he wasn't told to go to Egypt. Right. So yeah, because there's a famine, and so what was he doing? Well, what do you do when there's famine? You look for food. <laughs> And so and that, that's Egypt, why we got to Egypt. And Egypt always had food because the Nile was pretty consistent. Uh, their entire culture was dominated by the, the flooding of the Nile. Right, which you know, would have been uh, dictated by the, probably, uh, the, probably more of the snow melting. I, I haven't looked up the geography, but you know, yeah. sm- snow melting. Uh, and Victoria you know. Falls and mm-hmm. it comes down. And- yeah, and so annually it would flood. Um, anyone who lives in uh, 
uh, Arizona and New Mexico, you know what that's like. Uh, you have rivers that are dry all year, and then all of a sudden you get the flash flood from all the, the snow melt, and then you, um, you know, the, they would flood. And so what basically what, what that happened, what that means is it, their crops weren't uh, reliant on the weather. Right. Well, they weren't reliant on the local weather. They were, they could grow crops whether they got rain in that area or not. And this this lent to the whole idea of the Egyptian, the cyclical mindset, because their life was based on these cycles of the Nile. Mm -hmm. And so that really reinforced that idea that time was cyclical and that you had to protect the cycles in order to uh, maintain your existence because right. their, their existence did um, rely on that. So this story, we're getting into, they've gone into Egypt and Abraham, he's a bit of a jerk. I mean, there's just no way around it. Uh, and because they show up, and I'm just going to read what he tells Sarah. He says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. If the Egyptians see you and think she is his wife, they will kill me and let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that I may remain alive thanks to you. Now, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no. uh, well, I was going to say, this is, this is actually, I mean, this may be what you're getting ready to say, but this is, this is one of the verses that people like to point out when they want to gripe about Christianity. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's founded on Abraham and this guy, look how he treated his wife. Well, he pimps her out. If you, if you want to be the, the harshest, the most ungenerous reading of the text you can take, he pimps her out. I mean, just to put uh, Yeah, mind. I mean, if you, if you want to take it that way. Yeah. Now, so. I... There is a more generous reading, mm -hmm. and it, it's not immediately obvious to us because we don't live in a society where a woman's well-being is predicated on the ability of her family to protect her. Right. And, Which and, is a good thing. Right. And before, and before we get into that, you know, that it's, it is half true. She was his half-sister, mm -hmm. which back in the day, that wasn't as weird. Um, so anyway, but that is... Uh, that is what it is. So, but yeah, go ahead with what you're going to say. I just wanted to point that out that he wasn't completely lying. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that actually becomes a bigger point whenever he does this for the second time with Abimelech, because the first time wasn't enough. Uh, yeah. He, well, yeah. So, hey, you know, he got out of it the first time. So, yeah. Well, okay. And, that, and that's the problem is he manufactured a way to save his skin. And, mm -hmm. The, the generous reading is that by saying that he was her brother, he was still in a place of uh, having the authority to protect her in that cu culture. Right. But he was not casting himself as a rival. So you don't kill the brother to marry the sister. Right. You, you might kill the husband. And so there, that's the most generous reading. Right. And what, and what I think is pretty interesting here is in this section of Genesis, and actually it's not even really till you get in into uh exodus that pharaoh becomes a bad person uh the the pharaoh here is actually kind of presented as a kind of a man of honor he, he he's very almost neutral it, it's right. like um he wants he wants sarah but um he has a right to her as a as a pharaoh mm -hmm. now interesting bit of trivia um sarah's 65 years old at this point now imagine looking out across you know, the courtyard and seeing a 65 year old woman that can inspire the lust of the world's greatest leader at this point. That was she 65 in this text? At this text, she's 65. Hmm. And so, um, 
Now, there's there's a lot of uh, midrash on this, that because God knew she was going to have children later in life, that he preserved or renewed her youth and vitality through this. Um, I don't think that's correct, and we'll get to that at another point. Right. There's a... Yeah, because she was considered to be one of the seven most beautiful women of the ancient world. Okay. And Ruth and Bathsheba on, on that list, and I would have to look at the rest, but she evidently... But I think one of the interesting points here, too, is um, evidently her beauty could be witnessed. Mm-hmm. And so she must have presented herself well. She's not veiled. She's not uh, completely right. covered. There, it, This didn't happen because Pharaoh saw her wrist. This, right. There's more going on here. And so I think there's something there for women to, when we talk about presenting ourselves well, that there might be a lesson to learn here. Maybe not that you want to tempt a Pharaoh, but... Yeah, <laughs> taking pride in your appearance. So, so funny you're talking about like you know it's not didn't happen because he saw her wrist. It was kind of funny. There was some movie we watched when we were growing up. I can't remember what it is, but it was like this woman who was going to go be a typist, and uh, apparently the old yes. typewriters had like a treadle on uh-huh. them. Yes, and so it was like completely scandalous that she was she had to lift her dress up so it wouldn't get caught in the in the belt, and and so people could see her ankle. That was completely. I can't remember the name of that. I can't that. either. We need to look that up. Uh, <laughs> uh, crowdsource this one. If you, anyone knows that movie, tell us. I remember I, I remember watching it because we had like a very limited collection of VHS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this, this story actually is connected back to Genesis 6. And now we haven't talked about Genesis 6 a whole lot. We've alluded to it. Um, that it, it also goes back to Genesis Is it connected to Genesis 6? Go ahead. Yeah. Genesis 6 and Genesis 3, it's connected to all of this. Now, it, what's very interesting is, and it's connected by words, uh, specific words, because Abraham says, I know that you're beautiful, and if the Egyptians see you and think she's my wife, she'll let you live. Now, we also, okay, when, when we you. get into uh, Pharaoh talking, we've got some specific words that happen. Uh, see, take, and good. Okay. and so. Uh, Eve sees the fruit in Genesis 3. We'll mm-hmm. start there. Genesis 3. Eve sees the fruit, right. that it's tov, it's good, beautiful, and she takes. Right. Okay, so there's our connection there. In Genesis 6, the sons of God see the daughters of men, they take them, they, they see that they're tov or beautiful, mm-hmm. they're good, it, it, tov can be good or beautiful, Right. and they take them for wives. So... It's all connected. I think it's very interesting that Eve, the first one to see and take something good and beautiful, this is kind of the plight of all women now, is that we're now seen they're beautiful and we're taken and because taken, yeah. we're, yeah. And, and this plays out in scripture over and over again. And uh, in this retelling, Sarah is the fruit. Uh-huh. Sarah is the one who, who is taken. Um, Abraham is very much Adam. Right. And Pharaoh is somewhere between Eve and God. And because he, he's the one who takes, but at the same time, he's the one who pronounces the punishment. Right. And he actually uses the same word God does in casting them out of the garden, the be gone. Okay. Uh, it, and, and so it's almost like God says, you aren't even worth me getting onto you. Right. Uh, you you were you screwed this up so royally, no pun intended, uh, that it's well okay. But then you 
and we talked about yeah we talked about this parallel the other day we didn't talk about genesis 6 we talked about this the other day i think we we mentioned it on the program before um but there was um we talked about you know pharaoh is actually there's the snake on the the headdress so he would have actually been, you know, in this case where you have Adam and Eve kicked out by God, and you talk about him being turned over. So he's actually, Pharaoh isn't necessarily between Eve and God. Um, he's actually would have been in the place of the snake. Yeah. And God's saying, you know what, this time, just, I'm not going to even bother to curse you. I'm just going to let you live with the consequences of your action and what you're doing with the snake. He's going to take care of it. That actually works better than the Jewish source I read, because... That that does, is, Pharaoh is not operating under the rules of God, right? Uh, and he is the temptation for Abraham is to accept what what Pharaoh has to give him, mm-hmm. and so because uh, Pharaoh's going to offer something in return, just like the snake offers something in, in return, return. Mm-hmm. and so um, the the reason why the the Jewish scholars made the connection is um, because Pharaoh says. What have you done? And what does God ask Adam and Eve? What have you done? Yeah. Uh, and so you're you're getting that connection there. So the I think the main point is we still have divine beings asking this. And right, because Pharaoh's supposed to represent God mm-hmm. on on Earth in the Egyptian mindset. Yeah. And so that that I don't know that I do see how that I see how that connection works together. Well, and that's the thing about retellings; they aren't always point by point. Sure. You have that blurring of lines that make you question and ask, how does this fit? How, what's going on here? And, and it's, the, it's the things that are different that right. really make the point. And what, what's interesting to hear, with, with the, the Torah never covers up for, for Abram. Right. He lies, but most of all, he's showing a lack of faith. But even, oh, I say most of all, he lies, he shows a lack of faith, but most of all, he discounts Sarah. Well, he discounts Sarah, but also there, there's not just a lack of faith. There's also faith in someone else's power other than Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but you go ahead, because uh, you have an important point you were going at. He discounts Sarah. Right. He, he does not see Sarah as integral to his destiny yet. He feels like the, the promise is for him and him alone. He's not viewing her as that one flesh that God commanded Adam and Eve to be in the garden. Mm-hmm. He he is more about protecting his own self-interest than he is about Sarah. Sarah's expendable. Even though she is uh his sister and he cares about her, I think that's kind of evident in the text too. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if he can save his own skin, he, he's okay with that. And what's interesting is if anybody else had wanted Sarah, as, his, as her brother, he could have kept her safe. But the fact it was Pharaoh, God like either engineers or allows the situation, depending on your theology, where Abraham is confronted with a situation that only God could resolve. Hmm. There was no other way to get Sarah back than God's intervention because only a God can defeat a God. And, That's, that is interesting. But... As we go through this, I think the other really interesting point is it's not until Abram really gets a sense and an understanding of who Sarah is as his wife, as his life partner, that the promises can be fulfilled. Yep. I can see that. And 
and, and what's really what's cool about that is so often when people attack the Bible is we get this, oh, the Bible is so against women. And here's God making a direct stand saying, uh-uh, you mistreated your wife. I'm not moving until you get it right. Right. And we know that Abraham's not going to get it right for another, well, Sarah's 65 in this one, and she's, what, 90 whenever Isaac's born. So for another mm-hmm. 35 years, Abraham is fumbling around, being the fool, Yep. and, and this is going to cause them problems. And we well, this becomes even, I mean, it's almost like repetitive, and it's just like over and over again. But I wanted to um, take a minute to point out, I got my notes here. I'm like a fan of post-it notes. So if anybody wants to send me something random for Christmas, you know, just cases of post-it notes. Um, this story, again, we, we, I think most of us realize, uh, even if we weren't thinking about retellings, we see the story again with uh, Joseph and his brothers. There's a famine in the land. Mm-hmm. And so they go back down. Uh, we know that when Joseph gets to Egypt, What's the first thing that happens? Uh, or not one of the first things, but pretty close. He's working in Potiphar's wife, uh, house. Potiphar's wife, there's sexual misconduct. Yeah, this, the, the roles are reversed. E- exactly. Uh, uh, go ahead. Or the gender roles, anyway. No, that, that, was it. that was it. That's all I wanted to throw mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, just that it is reversed. But it's also, so you've got getting to Egypt. There's sexual misconduct. Uh, when... We talked last week about Exodus 1, when Pharaoh saying, kill, the, kill the, the boys, and but you can let the girls live. That's how it's normally translated, but that's actually an active word. It's keep the girls alive. Mm-hmm. And whenever that language is used, it's usually you keep them alive for nefarious reasons. And so we're back to sexual misconduct. And so we've got that connection again. Yeah. That anytime you're in Egypt, there's sexual misconduct. Don't you like how diplomatic well, I'm being there? <laughs> well, in the Torah, uh, we're not saying today. Um, right. <laughs> you're yeah. not going to get there and suddenly lose your morals. <laughs> but then the other thing, too, is uh, in Genesis 12, 17, it says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with mighty plagues on account of Sarai. Mm-hmm. And so what, how does God free the, the children of Israel? It's with a plague. Mighty yeah. plagues directly against uh, Pharaoh. And man, this is where the Jewish commentators have it all over Christian commentators. Well, and again, and, oh, I'm sorry, you, you got the plague thing, but again, he doesn't go into the details of the plagues <laughs> right. because who's this written for? People coming out of Egypt. What did they just see? What mighty plagues look like? Well, so. they saw that, but then they are also the teaching that it was understood because the there's lots of stories that do tell us what the plagues are and you wouldn't hear them from the pulpit of most churches today they is it emirates no that's that's a different story (laughs) Uh, it's everything from oozing sores from a important area of his body to impotence to i and so that god would actually strike him there now that's one like i said these are these are commentaries these are stories these are midrash Speculation. Speculation. But the other side, and I think this actually has more to do with the text, is um, the problem here is what's not in the story. 
because this happens again almost blow by blow, uh, point by point with Abimelech. And it says specifically that when Abimelech takes Sarah, and that's chapter mm-hmm. 20, that he had not had sex with her. Specifically states that. Right. Here in the story with Pharaoh, it never says that. Right. And so most people believe that Sarah was sexually mistreated at this point in time. Right. And any time the children of Israel wound up in Egypt, there was the sexual uh, side of things. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't sat down and thought about, you know, how is this going to play out? What application can we get from it today? But there, there is a point, I think, where, you know, sexual uh, abuse is common, far more common than what we like to talk about. One in three girls is molested by the time they're 18. Mm-hmm. Six out of 10 women are going to be in abusive relationships by the time they're 18. Uh, sorry, 21. Uh, I think it's one in six boys is the is uh, at this point, and most experts say that it it's um, the numbers are even higher than that because that's just what's reported. That's just what's reported. And I think the the point of hope that comes out of this is number one, this this has happened before, and God has still worked His purposes despite this, mm-hmm. and God still redeems people from this. And this does not disqualify anyone from being integral to his plan and purpose. Right. And so I, I think that's important for a lot of people, and especially when we come out of these churches where the purity uh, culture is so, so high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're not a virgin on your wedding night, then you've just lost all your value as a person, particularly for women. Right. Then that's, that's not what the Bible says. That, that is a cultural misinterpretation. And so, I think that's important that the Bible included this, and I think it's kind of sad that we in the church, that we in the church have, um, we've downplayed it. Right. We we've glossed over it, and and it's like it's embarrassing or shocking that the Bible can be real about sexual events. Mm-hmm. And so this wasn't just oh look, Sarah was so great, God swooped in in the last minute and saved her because she was deserving. No, God let natural consequences and circumstance play out. And he says, you know what, despite that, I am still king of this universe and things are still are going to go according to my will. And, right. and we need that hope. So um, this is, you know, this is the first time that we have three stories because there's going to be Abraham and Sarah with Pharaoh, mm-hmm. Abraham and Sarah with um, Abimelech, Isaac, their son, is going to do it again with Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And each time, when the men have failed the women, God steps in and he takes care of them in ways that the men can't. And he restores them to a position where they are remembered as the mothers of the nation. They're remembered as the mothers of Judaism. They're mm-hmm. remembered as the mothers of Christianity. And they're celebrated for what they managed to accomplish. Right. And so to hear all this talk sometimes about the Bible being so patriarchal that women aren't valued, I'm reading this and I'm saying the exact opposite. Yeah. And well, because you're actually reading the text. Yeah, shocking. And, well, and, and I, think, I think you kind of, kind of mentioned this, but I just want to say it very succinctly. Because we don't study the text, we open ourselves up for the attacks and accusations that Christianity does not like women, that we don't value women. That's, that's absolutely not true. 
for anyone who's actually practicing biblical Christianity, um, for anyone who's actually studying, reading the text, and understanding what it means to love your neighbor and your spouse, there's actually, uh, we're actually going to try to get a, a an interview and, and talk about, you know, because we talked about the divorce episode, but that's going to be a special one we kind of do uh, hopefully soon about, you know, sometimes we need to talk about, hey, what does actually loving your spouse look like? Um, because we would like to talk to people who are not just on the edge of divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, so that's that's one of the things that when we look at the text and we actually look at what is there, the, the story comes alive and we do see the value of not just men, but women, all of humanity. And we, and we see how it stands counter to the culture that it was in. And we see, and then we also, I mean, we also see some areas where the, the people act very much in accordance with the culture they're in. So, but, but we see God redeeming and calling that out and saying, no, we're reshaping how we're, we're reshaping how things are done. This is not my kingdom. Well, and just because the Bible records that, hey, this is how a certain event happened, it doesn't mean that the Bible is affirming or condoning it. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to remember that, that God's not happy with sin. And I think this really comes out, and we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to Jacob. Um, a lot of times, the very thing that somebody does to hurt someone, God allows that. to It comes full circle, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it's a slightly different form. But because Abraham, in this case, he's not valuing Sarah as his wife. I think he does still see her very much as his sister. I, I, I care about her. She's a nice gal. But his idea of family is so messed up that he just, he doesn't appreciate who she is in the destiny. Mm-hmm. And, and so God's like, until you get this right, I can't even allow you to go forward and be the father that I said you can be. Right. And so he, God holds back. And so that's the the waiting for Isaac wasn't waiting because God wasn't powerful enough to make it happen sooner than that. It was because Abraham wasn't getting a clue. Right. And and it this is this is pointed out when the fact that Abraham does it again with Abimelech. And so I think we need to read the text. And this is where understanding the ancient culture and what's going on and the fact that it is so counter. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's a ma- it, that's a huge piece to understanding this because if you didn't realize that the idea that that Sarah would actually um, you know have some value in a promise to a man that the the woman who the, who gave birth to the child is just as important as the father mm-hmm. that's craziness that that doesn't make any sense at all. A, it doesn't even occur to Abraham that's a possibility, right? And so here's God saying, no, this woman's going to be a part of what I'm doing, and it's got to be this woman, not any other woman. And Because Abraham does go on after Sarah dies, and he, he marries someone else and has several children with them. Right. So anyway, I think that's kind of... A good place to wrap up? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, as always, hit the subscribe button. Please share, share, share. Um, we, we love the, the likes and comments on Facebook, but if, I mean, share it with your friends, that's again, the biggest help we can get. Um, if you really like what you heard, please write us a review on iTunes. If you really, really like what you heard, uh, hit up patreon.com slash Raven Creek SC. Um, then we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Raven Creek SC. Um, we are on Pinterest. We'll probably, there's not much there, but we might be working on that in the future. We'll see. Um, 
because we do I do know, you know, Pinterest is a cool thing. Apparently the young kids are into it. I have a lot of recipes I'll never make on it, but Yeah. I I've got a lot of woodworking projects I'll probably never build on it. Um but yeah, hit us up, Raven Creek SC on most social media platforms. And uh until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be glad to see you next time. Bye. Bye. Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.